Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 1 John 5, 19 really gives some enlightenment when it comes to this text. He tells us that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. This is the reality of where we live. The whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And what we see in Ephesians 6, verse 12, is that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So the whole world is in the sway of the evil one, and we're in a spiritual battle. You are in a fight, and the dangerous thing is that sometimes we don't even know it. So you've got to know that you're in a fight to be able to fight. And so we wonder why we just kind of get whipped around sometimes as Christians. So the spiritual struggle is real. This is what, so we shift here in John from a general warning to a very specific war, warning when it involves this spiritual warfare that we, that we experience. And so what we need to see is that there's an active opposition against Christ and against those who follow him. Active, that's the key word. So you're in a fight, and it comes in a very subtle way. And Andy, I think, referenced it a couple weeks ago when he led us through those passages. The, the cultural mantra that you do you. This is a subtle attack, and we don't even realize it. The cultural mantra that we hear of you do you, right? That basically truth is relative to an extent. So you do you, I'll do me, and we'll be just fine. Proverbs 26, 12 says it like this. Do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And that's what we're doing as a culture. Like we determine what's right. And truth has become a relative term. And so this is what we see is that the general warning that John gives, he moves to a very specific warning in verse 18. So that's where we're going to pick it up. 1 John 2, 18 through the rest of the chapter. And uh, here's the deal. So if you were here last week, you knew it took me 50 minutes to get through one verse. Okay? So we're going 12 verses today, so I need you to listen quick. All right? You guys listened a little slow last week, so we got to listen a little quicker. All right. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. By this you will know that it is the last hour. Let me say this bold statement. We are in the last times, the last days, the last hour before Jesus comes. Do you know that? Now, you may wonder, well, how do you know that? Do you get a, a word from God? Yeah, yeah, I did. It's called the Bible. Just read the Bible. It's pretty amazing. But yes, that's what the Bible says. When Christ came the first time, it kicked off the last days. So the clock's ticking before he returns. And then we see proofs of this. One, the proof is Christ himself coming the first time. But then in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit poured out. We see those who were following Jesus were gathered together, they were praying, worshiping. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And then Peter starts preaching. Because what happens, that everyone starts speaking in different tongues, known languages, which is noteworthy. And so people start gathering. Like, what is going on with those people? And they started hearing them in their own language. And their accusation was, these people must be drunk. 
Now, I don't know what Christians did back in the day. They must have thrown some wild parties to think, they must be drunk, but maybe not. They say they must be drunk. And Peter's like, no, no, we're not drunk. Matter of fact, this is what was prophesied. In Acts 2, verse 17, he says this. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And what he's referencing is Joel chapter 2. So we're in the last times. This is significant. We're in a spiritual warfare. There's active opposition, and we're in the last days. And one more proof is by the Antichrist. That's what he says in verse 18 here. By this we know that it is the last days. And Antichrist very literally means opposes Christ. That's going to be key. Opposes Christ. And what we see here is the emphasis is not on one Antichrist. The emphasis is on many Antichrists. That's what we're going to see in this. And the, t- the title Antichrist is only used five times in four passages, and they're all in the John's letters, 1 John and 2 John. And so it would probably be good for us to see what John says about the Antichrist, the title he gives, or Antichrist. So in verse 18, we see that there's many actively opposing Christ and all those who follow him. In 1 John 2.22, which we'll see in a minute, it says, Who is a liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So we see the Antichrist deny the deity of Jesus, and we'll get to that in a minute. In 1 John 4.3, he broadens it up a little bit. This is enlightening. It says, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now it is already in the world. This goes back to there's a spiritual fight that you're in, regardless if you like it, or not, you're in it. There's spiritual warfare. Because the spirit of the Antichrist is active now. And it has been. And finally, in 2 John verse 7, it says, Many deceivers has gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. This deceiver, this is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So we see here they're denying Jesus' incarnation with a desire to deceive. So that's the foundation we're working with, right? There's many antichrists working then, and it has ramped up, and it will continue to ramp up the spirit of the antichrist. And so when we roll all these together, we get a warning to watch out. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this time together, Warning to Watch Out. A warning to watch out. And so generally, we have a warning to watch out, and we're going to see this through the emphasis of this time together, warning to watch out for false teaching. Watch out for false teaching. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 7 to be on your guard against false prophets who come to you with clothing, sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. And 2 Peter 2 verse 1 says this. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. So this is such a foundation what we're going to talk about this morning is the Antichrist. Because that's the emphasis. Not the one, but the many who are active in a very spiritual warfare aspect of the way we enter and view the world around us. This spiritual dynamic that we find ourselves in. But notice in verse 19 it says, 
They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would, not, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it would, might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. And this is, this is interesting. I want to just work through this for a minute. By all accounts, these people who went out from among them, these antichrists, right, this who we're talking about, they claimed to be Christians because they were among us. So they claimed to be Christians. They probably even came to worship regularly. They probably put a little giving in the plate when it passed by, right? Gave the offering. They probably even were so bold in their faith that they even every once in a while tweeted that God is love. You know what I'm talking about? Like bold faith people, potentially. But they looked like everyone else until they went out. And so what's interesting here, these people were at some point people that accepted the truth and then would go on to reject the truth. Because again, they were among them. And what I know about the first century church is that they preached the gospel. There was no watered down gospel in the first century church. It was the gospel and the gospel. And then we got tired of hearing the gospel. They put some more gospel on top of the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Like it was the gospel. So they heard the gospel and they accepted it, but would go on to reject it. And I wonder, does this surprise us that this happens? Because I think, if my memory serves me right, this happened to Jesus. His name was Judas Iscariot, right? He was among them. They went out from among them because he was never really with them. Never really belonged to them. And so we get this warning to watch out for those who claim to follow Jesus, but their teachings do not align with the truth of God's word. And that's going to be key as we go through this morning, is the truth of God's word. But what we see in verse 19, there's an encouragement here. That true followers will not fall away from the faith. You guys get that? True followers will not fall away from the faith. True disciples will not deconstruct their faith. It's popular now. The truly saved will not lose their salvation. Look at verse 19 again. It says, those that went out so that they might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. So those who truly believe the truth of the gospel are secured in their salvation. This is a gospel message. That we have been made new. That's the essence of what Jesus did through our faith. Listen, everyone all, for all time was created in God's image with the purpose of knowing him and being known by him. But we got in the way. Sin. And it goes much deeper than this. We talked about this in the community group this week. It's much deeper than just the sin that you do. It's the sin that we are. We are sinners. And so because we are sinners, we sin. Does that make sense? So it's even deeper than we even think. And because of that, we have been separated from God. This is the most wonderful news that displays the love of Christ. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So through faith in the one, Jesus, who lived the perfect life that you couldn't, who died the death that you couldn't die to pay the penalty of sin that we could not pay, did it on our behalf, conquered death, rose again on the third day, now ascended back into heaven and intercedes for us through faith that his blood somehow counted for you to wash away your sins and make you righteous, you are declared righteous. This is the good news of the gospel. Why do I say that? Because when you believe the gospel, you're securing your salvation. What the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 5 to 17 tells us that you are a new creation. The old has passed away. That means this is not a renovation of you. This is a complete demolition and new construction. 
that make sense? This is completely, this is not a redo, this is a brand new. So anyone who believes is secure in their salvation, has confidence in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4. Again, your security and salvation tells us, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. You know what dead men do? Anybody know? You know what dead men do? Nothing. I never, nope, no, nothing. Cannot do nothing. You know why? Because they're dead. That's what the beauty of the gospel is. You could do nothing in your sins. We were dead in our sins, but God saved us from ourselves you were saved by grace that's what verse 8 in Ephesians 2 tells us you're saved by grace through faith this is not yourselves it's God's gift not from works so that no one can boast and what this means is God did not choose you because of your works so he will not lose you because of your works see you guys didn't even get that I worked hard on that all week God did not choose you because of your works so he will not lose you because of your works you cannot out God's grace for Ephesians 4 verse 30 tells us that you were sealed by him, being the Holy Spirit, for the day of redemption. You are secure in your salvation when you believe. So don't twist verse 19 says, you know, they had faith and then they lost it. You can't lose your faith when you have it. This is what the Bible teaches. So it begs the question, when did you believe the truth of the gospel? You. When did you believe the truth of the gospel? Because I have the privilege of hearing a lot of testimonies. It's so encouraging. So when did you confess faith in Christ? And what did that look like? And if it has to do with because you did certain things, like, I, well, I've been in church all my life, so I'm a Christian, or because I've been involved in these ministries, so I'm a Christian, then you may want to evaluate where you are with Christ truly. Truly, because it's not knowing a whole bunch of things about Christ. It is knowing him and trusting him with all of your life. It is fully surrendering every aspect of your life to the Lord. This is Jesus is Lord. This is what this means. Everything. Do you trust him in that way? But this is encouragement that if you belong to him, you're secured in him. Which leads us to verse 20. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Here, here, here's what I know. I know the truth that broccoli tastes like garbage. I know that. Because I've tasted and seen that it is not good. You know what I'm saying? Now, what's bad about that is that's a very subjective truth. Because some of you are like, it tastes good. And I would say, you're wrong. But it's subjective. But that's how we treat truth in this culture. Is your truth maybe your truth and my truth maybe my truth and I got news for you, that ain't truth. It's not truth. Truth is not relative, it's not subjective, it's absolute. That's what truth is. Jesus prays in John 17, 17 on behalf of his followers, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And so what we see here in this passage and also what we'll see in verse 27, is that you have an anointing so you know the truth. 1 John 2, 27, which we'll get to, it says this. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. 
Instead, his anointing teaches you all about the things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. And so this is a key Bible study principle. You want to write this down. Let scripture interpret scripture. If something's like, that doesn't seem quite right. Nobody needs to teach me. Well, maybe it's not quite right as the way you see it. Because what it's saying is that you have the whole, we'll get there. So what it's not saying, I'll get ahead of myself so I can keep my notes. That's why we're in here for two hours at a time. What we see here is we know that the Bible teaches that pastors are responsible for teaching God's word to the local church. It also says that followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, are responsible for teaching one another. That is, discipling one another. Disciple and be discipled. So we know that we are to teach and to learn, and disciples are lifelong learners. So if you ever think you have arrived, then you might want to repent of pride, one, and keep learning. We keep learning. We keep growing. So we're always being taught by one another and through different teachings from faithful pastors of the word. We do this together, okay? So don't hear what the text isn't saying. And one way we do that as a group, as a church here, is discipleship groups, our D groups. You know, we had a young adult gathering this Friday. We have a young adult ministry we gather every other Friday. And one of the key things they said was how awesome and fruitful are our discipleship groups. We see growth in discipling one another. So this doesn't say we're not to be taught by others. Well, we're not to disciple others because the whole emphasis of Scripture tells us the opposite. But let's touch on the anointing so I can get back to what we're talking about here, okay? Because anointing gets really muddy in some Christian circles, depending on your background there. So real quick, the background of anointing in the Old Testament, we see that kings, priests, and prophets were anointed outwardly with oil to symbolize a profound spiritual reality of God's presence and his favor, okay? So that's what anointing was all throughout the Old Testament. But what is the anointing that John refers to here? Well, notice he says that believers have this anointing. He says, you have. This letter's written to believers. And so y'all, following Jesus, have this anointing. So this just isn't for those super saints, right? Those incredibly charismatic Christians. This is for everyone. Everyone has this anointing. And he notice it says it's from the Holy One. This is interesting. In Mark 1, we see this demon-possessed man refer to Jesus as the Holy One. We see Peter in John 6 says, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So we see Jesus is referred to as the Holy One. And going on top of that, we see that this anointing teaches truth. And so in John 16, Jesus says this. He says, I will send him being the Holy Spirit to you. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. In John 16, 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. And in Acts 2, like we talked about, the Holy Spirit has been poured out for everyone who believes. So the point here is as believers are anointed by the Holy Spirit, which enables them to know truth that comes from God. So believer, you have the Holy Spirit, which enlightens truth to you. And there's been a lot of confusion involving the Holy Spirit and anointing. Depending on how you've grown up and what churches you've been a part of and there's been a lot of confusion here. And I think for a couple reasons. I, my own story, I've been walking with Jesus for a little over 20 years now. And I've been to a variety of flavors of churches, right? And so I was part of a, a charismatic church 
one point, and they, uh, they did a nice job of a lot of things, but they really, and a lot, a lot of uh, some charismatic churches do, they overemphasize the Holy Spirit that exceeds biblical bounds. I know this may be offensive. I'm sorry, okay? I'm an equal offensive uh, giver here. So I've also been a part of some Baptist churches who so underemphasize the Holy Spirit, they teach him like the weird cousin that nobody wants to associate with. So we don't know anything. So we say I have this, the pendulum from this side to this side, and we left like, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? And so we just don't talk about him. We think it's awkward, right? And then it just, let's clarify real quick. There's two baptism that, baptisms that the Bible teaches. One, baptism by the Holy Spirit. Let me let text teach us what this is. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us, for we were all baptized by one spirit into the body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, or, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So, we were all baptized by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21 says, Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ, and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us, given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. So we start seeing what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. But the question is, how do you receive it? How do you receive it? Does somebody give it to you? Do you have to be your hands laid on someone, right? Because that's some teaching. That you have to have your hands laid on you to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, what's the Bible say? Ephesians 1.13 tells us, In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. This is when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with him. So that's the first baptism you get. And that's why what leads to the second baptism in that order. Okay, this is key. Faith comes before water baptism. Does that make sense? Because what you're showing is the inward reality, what God's already did through the Holy Spirit baptism. This gets really confusing with the baptism talk. Hopefully this is clarified. Because what we see is faith, you believe, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit, then obedient to Christ's commands, you're water baptized. And just for clarification, water baptized, the word baptized means submersed, dipped, dunked. Make sense? So this is why we baptize by submersion. Also, it would be like we submerse by submersion. You get what I'm saying there? Probably don't sprinkle because the Bible doesn't teach that. I know, this may be offensive to some folks. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, all right? So, anyway, so we see this anointing then is by the Holy Spirit, which leads us to the truth. He teaches truth, and we all have this anointing. So when someone tells you, you must have this anointing on you, like, yeah, so does Joe over there and Susie over here. and Like, we have this anointing by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace. So we are able to know the truth. The Spirit enables that and what it does, it alerts us to lies. So going back to our text in 1 John 2, verse 22 says, Who is a liar, if not the one who dece- de- denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one comes to the Son, has, no one who denies the Son has a Father, and who, he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. In other words, you can't have one without the other. Okay, Break that all down for you. You can't have one without the other. And what this, what John's saying is John is telling us about the deity of Christ. There's one God. Father, Son, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And for more background that we don't have time to cover, you can write down John 1, verse 1, John 1, verse 14, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, Hebrews 1, chapter 3, or Hebrews 1, verse 3. Because what all these all do in a really direct way is prove the deity of Christ. And if that term's unfamiliar, that God in the flesh, Jesus. And so this is where a lot of cults have arisen throughout the centuries, is around Jesus. And these cults are thriving today. And that's why we got to watch out for false teaching, because they take a little bit of truth and run with it. Jesus wasn't created. And by following Jesus, you're not going to inherit a planet, okay? I don't be joke, but man, this, this false gospel is leading many astray. And Jesus is sufficient. If you have to add, add any kind of your works to your salvation, then Jesus' blood on the cross wasn't enough. If you say this and be baptized, or this and good works, guess what? Jesus' blood wasn't sufficient enough. And we know that's not true. So our faith leads us to works, not our works leads us to faith. Jesus' blood was sufficient. And Jesus says over and over, he claims his own deity. You know, this church was founded, God's name, from John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But then in verse 7 he says, If you know me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Mic drop, right? Their jaws would have hit the floor. Jesus was very clear on who he was. And yet we see his false gospel continue to thrive on Jesus wasn't really who he said he was. Again, I quote the C.S. Lewis quote a lot. I'm only going to quote it in part now. But against this false idea of maybe he, Jesus was a good teacher, maybe just a prophet, C.S. Lewis says this, you can shut him up for a fool, this is Jesus, you can spit at him and call him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So we need to know who Jesus is, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, so you can discern and detect the deception. This is what John's writing. He's, John's writing says, listen, I'm not writing to you because you don't know this. I'm re- writing to you to remind you that you know this and to watch out. The warning to watch out. This is what he says in verse 24. He says, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he has himself made to us. Eternal life. This is a promise that we have. Eternal life. Eternal connection. Relationship restored with the Father. And this is the beauty of John 3.16 that we all know so well. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son. That who ever or everyone, one of my favorite words in the Bible, everyone, for who, whoever, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but what? Have eternal life. You will have it. And so if God gives it, he's not going to take it away. And it comes through faith. You will have eternal life. And what we need to see here, that the gospel isn't just a New Testament concept. Do you know this? Do we, do we, do we got this? I, we miss this sometimes. We see the Old Testament as old as an obsolete, not at all. 
old as incomplete. Like in Galatians 3, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Like, well, sure, that's in the New Testament. He's quoting Habakkuk. This is an Old Testament letter. It's always been by faith, by God's grace. And for more commentary on that, read Romans 4. Romans chapter 4, this is the whole case that Paul's making, is that they've always been saved by faith. It was never by the law. Law is a mirror to show you your great need for a Savior, not a map to show you how to get there. I've heard this quote. If it's new, then it's not true. And if it's true, then it's not new. So if someone comes to you and says, I got this new revelation from Christ, your job would then be, all right, show me in the Bible. I know we don't like that because we live in a very Holy Spirit-driven, God's revealing to me, God said these kind of things. If God tells you, it'll be verified in the Bible. And if God tells you, it will become true. And if it doesn't, God has some swift, distinct, harsh words for those false prophets. In the Old Testament, they were stoned. So we throw around that word, God told me a lot. Be careful. Be careful. Because if God didn't tell you, you are a false prophet. I know this, we don't like to hear this because we like to have revelation, but God does reveal himself in new ways to you that verifies what he has already said throughout the history of time. Does that make sense? So remember, John says here, remember and remain in the truth that you know, the gospel truth, the gospel truth of old. And hopefully the old gospel truth doesn't get old to you because we need to be reminded of that. He says in verse 26, he says, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you remain in him. So we know the truth. If you know the truth of the gospel, and you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you know the truth. You have the anointing by the Holy One to know him, be known by him, and know truth, and detect the lies. I was reminded this week of, you know, there's been several, uh, various, various cults that have risen up throughout the, the centuries. Heaven's Gate cults is one of the ones that were just burned in my mind being a child of the 80s and in the 90s. This happened in about 97, the Heaven's Gate cult. This cult was led by two people. One person described himself as the second coming of Jesus Christ, which if you know the Bible, flag number one. No, you're not, okay? So, but there's that. And then, so he was raised with a Presbyterian background, so he, at some level he's familiar with the Bible. These two leaders would then call themselves the two witnesses that we see in Revelation 11. And so they started attracting a following. And this is where the internet was really thriving. And so they really started promoting, in 97, this movement on the internet. Well, at the exact same time, they've founded this, this cult on a little bit of the Bible and a lot of it on astronomy. And they mixed it together because this must be true. At that time, the Hellbop Comet was coming by. 
And so this was their time. This is the time they've been waiting for. They're going to jump on this spacecraft that's tailing behind the Hale-Bopp comet. And so what they need to do is that when it's at its closest portion to Earth, then they need to commit suicide because they need to kill these outward containers that they're in so they can be jet-rocketed to catch this spacecraft forever. And so what they did, they put on these sweet running suits and black and white Nike running shoes, and they drank the poison, and they killed themselves. 39 people. Why? Because they didn't know the truth. Like for us, think about, like, how could you do that? It's because you know the truth. But when you don't know the truth, some things sound pretty convincing. Or when you know a little bit of the truth, things sound pretty convincing. So they called heaven's gate because the gates of heaven will be opened up following this suicide. Well, this is what the Bible says. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the way. Again, Ephesians 6 reminds us that we're in a spiritual fight. So what do we do? We know in a spiritual fight, there's false teaching. We know the gospel. So what do we do? Ephesians 6, 13 tells us, for this reason, because we're in a spiritual battle, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, which we are in, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Because the attacks of the evil one are regular, ongoing, and will continue to ramp up. Because the spirit of the Antichrist is present and growing. Ephesians 6, 17 tells us to take the helmet of salvation, but the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So how do you fight back? It's the word of God. So are you reading the word of God? I, I talk to a lot of folks who are like, yeah, I'm just not a big reader. Okay, do you listen to the Word of God? We have so much technology available. Eh, I don't really have time. Well, how do you know? How do you know what's false and what's true? It's the Word of God. That's just one reason. But listen, there's very practical examples of what the Word of God does when it gets in you. When you read it enough and spend time with God's Word in His Spirit, with Him, it changes you. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active and effective. I read a study this, just this week, a recent study, about Bible engagement. Reading the Bible with intention, not as a checklist. Like sometimes we do that, right? Like I need to read the Bible, read it, don't remember what we read. But with intentionality. And so they did a study to see what would come out of people who would regularly read their Bible. How would it practically affect their life? And so... Uh, those that read the Bible, Bible engagement, one day a week, they didn't see little to any difference in their lifestyle. Bible engagement, two days a week, little to no difference. Bible engagement, three days a week. Man, some of us are like, yeah, that'd be awesome if I can get there. Little to no difference. Where the humongous difference came in was four days a week of Bible engagement. This is what the stats say. Listen to this. This is, this is wild. For those who had four days of their week in the Bible, it says the feeling 
of being lonely dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Yeah. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. Now catch this. Sharing your faith jumped 200%. Discipling others jumped 230%. So tell me, why in the world do we not spend time in God's Word? It's almost like He told us to do this because it's almost like He knows what's best for us. This is wild. Like, if we just do what He says, it's a good thing. So, how are we combating the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in? It's spending time with the Lord and in His Word and with other people. So, what are you doing about it? And finally, in closing, Verse 28 and 29. It says, So now little children remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and know and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this well, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, I just want to touch on this real quick. Because a lot of us were raised on the gospel being, God is good, you are bad, do less bad, be better, okay? That's what a lot of us heard. That's not the gospel. Is that you can't be better, you can't be less bad, but God saved you from yourself. So you can never be righteous. You can never have a right standing before the Lord outside of your faith in Christ. He has made you righteous. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. He made the one who did not know sin, being Jesus, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have right standing before the Lord because of Jesus' righteousness. This is called imputed righteousness. So you're right because of Jesus' righteousness. And so this is an encouragement here, and what's the encouragement we continue to see throughout 1 John? We've talked about these proofs of being a Christian. And I think an intent here is John wants them to know and for us to know that If you're in the faith, you're in the faith. And here are some things that can show that you're in the faith. It's what we've seen so far. that Not that you don't sin, but that you hate the sin you're in, which leads to repentance. Which in the Bible says God's faithful and righteous and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness and to cleanse you from your sins. Another proof we see in 1 John is that if you desire to follow Jesus, then you desire to Seek to obey what he's commanded you. It's a desire. We don't do it to earn God's love. We do it as an outcome of receiving God's love. I desire to please the Lord. We see in 1 John, the proof of being a follower is that we love one another because of amazing love God's given us. How can we not love one another? So what we see here in verse 28 and 29 is that you can have confidence knowing that you have been declared righteous in Christ Jesus by faith that he died for you because of your sin and because of his love that you can live with him forever. So when he comes and returns, this is a good thing for those who know know Christ. 
You can have confidence that you have a right standing. But for those that don't, it will be a day of dread. And this is what compels us. One, God's glory. We want everyone to see how glory, glorious God is, how good he is, to know the hope and the joy that's rooted in Christ, not in the culture. The culture will never satisfy the longings that you have that were only meant to be satisfied by knowing Jesus. But there's a, really, there's a real reality coming that Jesus will return. We are in the last days. And are we ready? If you put your faith in Christ alone, you are ready. But if you have not, then the Bible says you're not ready. You're not ready. And this should break our hearts for those that don't know the love of Jesus. But we have confidence. And so we, we go back to this warning to watch out for those who want to shake your confidence. You're saved by grace alone and Christ alone, by faith alone. So if anyone tells you, yeah, but have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Well, you may not be saved. That's a false gospel. Believe who Jesus is and you know the lies that come from the enemy. But it comes from knowing him, knowing his word, and this warning to watch out. I was reminded my, my mom would tell me when I was a kid to watch out as I cross the street. And it's not like I didn't know there's cars that drive on the street, right? The point is I, I knew there were cars, but I need to be cautious because of the danger of the cars. And we need to be reminded sometimes to be watchful of what's going on around us. We're so complacent that I can look both ways every day for two months and never seen a car. So now I stop looking both ways. Or maybe I look one way. The next thing you know, I just come so complacent, I get hit by that car. So my mom will always tell me, watch out. Mom, I got it. Watch out. Watch out. We need to be reminded to watch out. First Peter 5 tells us this. Verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Watch out. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. So as we close, I want to encourage you to respond to what the Lord's doing right now in your own life. Right now in this time. What, God, what is God showing you? Maybe some things that we need to be aware of to watch out for. Maybe some things that we can be better equipped for the fight that we're in. Maybe it does go back to your relationship with the Lord. Maybe for the first time you've seen that, man, I know a lot of facts about Jesus. I can quote a lot of scriptures, but I never fully surrendered. I don't really trust him. Right now, he's inviting you to trust him because he is trustworthy. Put your faith in him because he is faithful. And that will never change. You are designed to know him and be known by him. And you will never know true love, true hope, and true identity except through knowing Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel, and it's available to everyone. No matter your background, everyone can come to Jesus and know by faith you have been saved and declared righteous and have that confidence to stand in front of Christ and that confidence to stand against the scheme of the devil because the one who is greater in you is greater than the one that's in the world. This is the good news of the gospel. So I don't know what God's doing in your life this morning. I'm going to invite our band back up and we're going to sing another worship song. And we're going to continue to worship. 
But during this time of worship, maybe you just need to spend time in prayer right where you are. Just praying through what the Lord is putting on your heart. Maybe you will stand in worship just because of his goodness and his grace. Maybe you need to pray with someone or want to pray with someone right around you or we'll have a prayer team over there. Maybe you need to take that next step in your faith journey. We talked about baptism. Have you been baptized as a follower of Jesus? And it's outward expression of inward work that he did and out of obedience to following Christ. What a testimony that God's doing in your life. What's God doing in your life right now? Whatever that is, I invite you to respond. I urge you to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting in you as we pray. So let me pray for us. and Let's continue in this time of worshiping the Lord. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today, the reminder of how good you are and how much we need you. Lord, your grace and your love and your mercy are so good. At times we can't even just fathom what that really means for us, that you took our place on the cross. You died the death that we deserved. You paid the debt that we could never pay because of your amazing love for us that so whoever would come to you by faith and saying, yes, I believe that your blood washed me from my sins and that through you I have been declared righteous so I can have a right standing with the holy God who now I can call Father and have this relationship that I was meant to have from the beginning restored and it will last forever. And ever and ever. And I will have confidence because my confidence is rooted in you. And because of this, because of who you are and who I am in you, I will not fear. I will not worry. I will not be anxious. I will not be stressed because you are sovereign over all things, even over my life. And that's a good thing because I've been a crummy, crummy God. Father, move in this place. Lord, help us to see you more clearly. Help us just to feel your love just washing over us. Continue to transform us into your image. Give us a desire to know you more and more and remind us that we're known by you. Father, we thank you for this time. And we pray this in the name above every other name, the only name that is worthy of our praise, and that is the name of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.